brought to you almost live from the dude in the basement studios. Why? Because that's where the good stuff is. It sips, suds, and smokes with your smoking host, the good old boys. It's sipping time. Hello and welcome. It is definitely sipping time. I am your host here today, good old boy Mike. Our sips episodes are all about where everything good in life is worth discussing. Our sips segments are about wine, distilled spirits, tea, and coffee. And here's what we're going to discuss on this segment today. Our favorite things about wine for 2014. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens, brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favorite things. We're going to talk about our favorite wines, a key vintages today, possibly some of our favorite places to enjoy wine in 2014 as well. So uh, <clears throat> hopefully you'll enjoy this discussion. So we'll actually be tasting and discussing some wines today and rating them with our sips ratings, plus our signature sounds. And here are those ratings now. Number one, give me a glass to wash uh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I couldn't even read it myself. Uh, number one, give me a glass of water to wash out my mouth. Number two, nice, but what else do you have? Well, isn't that nice? Number three, hmm, interesting. What was that again? Interesting. Number four, let's keep this secret to ourselves. Pour me another. That's classified. And number five, our all-time classic. Oh, my. I was unaware anything could be this good. Oh, my goodness. Yes! 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 Another great year for wine, although I'm not sure that ever is there a bad year for wine. For retailers, wine continues to be a staple for consumers. There were lots of fears that consumers were going to displace wine with beer, or distilled spirits. Now, most retailers have discovered that, in fact, the market is actually growing and consumers are adding and not displacing uh, wine with other purchases. Now, overall, globally, there is still less than a 5% surplus of wine being produced um, So, uh, against wine being consumed, so that's actually a really good thing. Several people are starting to panic, um, thinking that the drought in California would impact the Napa Valley wine areas. Actually, this has not been the case, and mainly the Central Valley, including Paso Robles, has been impacted by drought conditions. And we'll actually talk about more about Banner Vintages a bit later in our episode today. Now, 2014 produced some great wine and some great vintages, so let's get right to some of these. So um, I know that we have uh, several wines that are probably candidates for our favorite wine of the year. And I am going to select our favorite wine of the year is going to be the 2012 Acrobat Pinot Noir from Oregon. This is just a uh, fabulous wine. Um, it's a very typical Pinot Noir. 
lots of strawberry plum and rhubarb pie with a touch of earth it's actually quite clean and you know this vintage is probably one of the better ones from the willamette valley now pinot itself is actually very delicate and i have found oregon pinot maybe a bit more delicate than their french counterparts this is like a poster child for the oregon pinot industry and something that i've actually not had since probably the 2004 vintage um, I like using the word plum forward because this Pinot is actually plum delicious. My rating for the 2012 Acrobat Pinot Noir is a 5. Oh my goodness! Yes! 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 Oh my, I was unaware anything could be this good. So, uh, really great wine. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that we could just... Uh, <laughs> Um, really talk about, you know, some of our favorite wines, you know, just going on and on and on about them, you know, forever. But we actually have um, some other wines um, we definitely want to discuss today. I am not going to piss up the chance to uh, talk about some other great wines. Now, this wine is actually a discussion of age, not of vintage. So um, I had been slowly working my way through consuming a bottle of Graham's 30-year-old Tawny Port. Um, like over the last eight years, it's really taken me that long to kind of wean my way through just this one simple bottle of Tawny Port. I know it's pathetic, but I did finish it and I was yearning for some more. So, um, I, uh, I started looking and, and after looking, um, at it some more, uh, for another Graham's 30, I saw that the price was like double what I had paid for this original bottle of Graham's 30 year old. Um, and I could absolutely just, I couldn't bear the thought of actually paying that much more for the exact same one that I just finished. Um, now that's probably indicative of supply and demand and not of some artificial, you know, markup, you know, from Graham's themselves. So I started looking around and I noticed that Graham's has actually released a 20 year old Tawny and I actually like the price and, um, I uh, looked at some other comments about this and decided to go for it. So uh, here are some of my uh, tasting notes around uh, Graham's 20-year-old Tawny Port. It's a wonderful tawny color, light to medium red with some brownish hue. It's translucent. It's kind of orange brick at the uh, edge. The nose was dried and candied red berries, dates, figs. Uh, sultana raisins, uh, spice, leather, uh, some old oak, some burnt sugar, and even some actual flowery notes. And this is just very typical of Graham's. I mean, it just has an awful lot usually going on. And for me to name that many distinctive things, they really had to be quite evident and, you know, in the glass itself. It actually had a sweet palate with some good concentration of dried red berries and some burnt sugar spice and quite good acidity a little bit of tannin which is not a bad thing uh in a tawny port um and a little bit of alcohol feeling um so it's just uh had just this long sweet and spicy you know aftertaste i could just go on and on um about this my rating for graham's 20 year old tawny port is awful also going to be awful <laughs> it is going to be uh, my sips rating is going to be a five. Oh my goodness! Yes! 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 
So there's a little bit more to this story. So I took this bottle to our 100th episode party, uh, which was a while ago. Anyway, um, and I was thinking that, ah, you know, of all the things that, you know, maybe a few people will actually try this because, and I'll get to take take some home. Ha! <laughs> Negative. Absolutely not. That is not going to happen. <laughs> In fact, this was the first bottle to go. Um and uh <clears throat> i just uh i really thought that with everything else that was on the table i mean even with the likes there were a couple of 2000 bordeaux there was a 93 93 shiraz that was on the table um i thought that i would get to take uh some home really not even one single drop so um i'm actually right back right where i started <laughs> so um, I have no uh, Graham's uh, Tawny Port um, right now, and uh, I'll probably go to Taylor's uh, this time. But man, was this good! I mean, it was so good. So uh, I would definitely encourage you to, uh, if you've thought about maybe changing some vintages, um, if you have some other uh, Tawnies, um, then I would definitely suggest that maybe you should consider some of those as well. So um, up next is uh, some discussion about uh, vintages, and uh, I have a short list of some vintages that you should consider looking at uh, from this year as well. So the best vintages for 2014 in no particular order at all, and we're actually going to talk about some wines from each of from some of these vintages today. Not each of them, but uh, probably some of them. First up is uh, Columbia Valley, uh, 2012. Um, great vintage, and we have some wines to talk about uh, from that today. I already talked about one wine from the Willamette Pinot. Um, the uh, 2012 uh, crop was just uh, quite awesome, and that is indicative of why I actually named the Acrobat uh, Pinot Noir. is just a, it's a poster child for that vintage, as well as just for Oregon Pinot in general. The Barossa Valley, a some, a wine region very close to uh, my choice, and their 2012 crop was really awesome as well. We have some wines to talk about uh, from both Barossa Valley as well as McLaren Vale today. The Argentina Mendoza, 2012. The Cote de Bone, the white uh, for 2012 as well, as well as Napa in general for 2012. So, uh, it echoes my, you know, earlier comment that some of you thought that the crop, um, in Napa was going to be infected or not infected, but affected by the drought happening in other parts of California. And actually Napa had a really, really good vintage this year. So, um, I'm sure that many of you are good, uh, are uh, California wine lovers, and uh, there are lots of great wines to uh, explore, several of which will actually be uh, featuring on the show during this year as we, wake th uh, as we make our way through several uh, different wine shows on our SIP segments here for SIP Sets and Smokes. Now, I love the story of the Columbia Valley to start. What an amazing vintage. Okay, so um, the K Venters Merlot is probably just the best Merlot that I've had in like five years. I mean, it is just really awesome. And um, I uh, I couldn't say enough good things um, about uh, both the vintage as well as just that particular wine in general. It's just, it was really quite amazing. Um, so uh, 
We actually have another wine from the Columbia Valor region, and um, I like the playover between um, what I know about K Ventures Merlot and of what has happened with some other winemakers in that region. Um, there is, uh, they actually um, create a wine under the um, independent producers um, called the HIP. Um, it is the uh, name of the uh, consortium that actually uh, does this together. And this year they chose to uh, create wines with Bacchus, uh, Bacchus uh, Vineyards. And um, it is uh, it's a really great wine. So there are actually many great vineyards in the area that get together to create a, a unique wine under this Bacchus label. Actually under the hip um, is really kind of what they, they end up doing. So this is similar to what I consider in the scotch industry, kind of like the gray label scotch using the same liquor, but actually a different label. But in this case, what it is, it's actually the same people um, and the same grapes, which is actually a different label. And this is actually produced by Hedge's family estate. Um, so HIP stands for House of Independent Producers, and it's a label focused on highlighting specific sites within the Washington Columbia Valley um, area itself and um, producing wines that actually over deliver in value. They're sourced from sustainably farmed back Bacchus, 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 I'm going to say Bacchus Vineyards. This actually is a 100% Merlot that exhibits red and bramble fruit aromas and flavors with accents of warm earth spicy licorice graphite and express and espresso it is medium bodied and perfumed well restrained alcohol soft with elegant bearing it's actually super classic washington merlot um, with a bordelaise twist representing an incredible value in food friendly and all occasional red wine this is just um a really great wine um i mentioned the cave venters earlier but uh i have to say that if uh if you have a chance to get a hold of this i would definitely uh, uh suggest you visit this my sips rating for the hip bacchus uh wine for 2012 is actually going to be a four that's classified now, um, HIP actually has a, an initiative to remove the current wine scoring system that they actually call the score, score, score Revolution. I'm probably mispronouncing that. Um, where they actually kind of want to re, you know, completely remove the wine scoring system that is very much a part of the wine marketing um, industry today. But uh, at any rate, we actually chose to rate the wine because uh, it was that good. So definitely don't pass that up well one more wine before we take a quick break here and uh, we are venturing no further than the columbia valley region to talk about the 2012 charles smith krug uh, kung fu girl riesling um so this is uh you know all in the same region that we're talking about here um you know some of my tasting notes around this particular wine um, again, this is a white wine. This is not a red wine, for those of you who don't quite know what uh, Riesling is. But anyway, um, really good color. The aromatic uh, nose shows some citrus, some orange blossom, some nectarine, and ginger. And this is actually fairly light-bodied on the palate with a good concentration and decent finesse. This is uh, kind of medium plus length, you know, in terms of some of the finish off this. Um, I think in, when you I, I, when I think about Rieslings, 
Um, I tend to, th there's a huge range of Riesling, so it's not like a one size fits all. If you know the, the traditional German Riesling uh, ratings, this one's probably a bit more on the sweet side, but it's still quite robust. Um, so I would definitely encourage you to um, seek this out. A great wine, my sips rating for the 2012 Charles Smith Kung Fu Girl. Wah! It's a four. That's classified. All right, uh, we'll take a quick break here and we'll be right back. We'll keep on uh, talking about some really great wines and some great vintages, so come right back. Hey, welcome back to Sips, Suds, and Smokes. This is a sip segment today. We're talking about our favorite wines from 2014, and we're discussing a lot of favorite things, including our wines, vintages, and lots of things. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens, brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favorite things. Well, definitely one of my uh, favorite things is uh, Aussie wine. I cannot hide the fact that I am a huge Aussie red wine fanatic. Um, and I think that actually my doctor would probably say that my veins are just completely full of Shiraz. And he would probably actually go down and say, it's probably a 1995 vintage. And um, there's probably plenty of the 2012 vintage flowing through it now as well. Now, um, <clears throat> there's actually a bit of geography that I thought that I'd take the time to kind of share with all of you to, you know, kind of explain a little bit about uh, this particular wine region. So Adelaide uh, is in the southwest part of Australia, and there's actually two major wine regions. So there's one that's just north of Adelaide called the Barossa Valley, and then there's the McLaurin Vale, uh, which is actually just south of Adelaide. So um, there were two wines from these regions that were part of my favorites for 2014. So first up is the 2012 vintage from Barossa Valley. Uh, it was actually just an amazing year. And one of my favorite vineyards from that area is Two Hands. Um, and they really um, make a wide variety of wines, but their Shiraz, which is um, really kind of a, a staple varietal um, in this area of the wine region, is actually just one of the best. So uh, the name of this wine is the 2012 Two Hands Shiraz. This is the Bella's Garden version. There's a couple of others that Two Hands makes. So um, this is a particular uh, group um, or vineyard and grapes that they actually assemble together. So here are my tasting notes on this wine. The aromas reach up from the glass, showing ripe black fruits, along with cherry, dusty clove, cinnamon, and a hint of cracked pepper. It was poised on the palate, and, and yet with an unbridled intensity of lurking beneath a sheen of ripe black fruits, dark chocolate, and spice. Now, dark fruits is just about emblematic of almost any really great Shiraz, but this one just completely saturated the senses all the way through the finish with this fine grain tannin, which has a lot of promise for just, you know, a very long time. Um, so my sips rating for this wine is going to oh be a five. Oh my goodness! Yeah! 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 
Now, I thought I'd say, uh, sing a bit of a song here that, um, you know, what you should do with this. Lay it down, lay it down. It will better if you lay it down. I know that's just absolutely pathetic. Um, and a really poor, you know, rendition of the Frozen song. But um, you really should consider um, laying this down. Um, this is a really great wine. It'll probably do um, a little bit better with uh, some additional time. And uh, I would say that uh, my mark probably for this wine would be to uh, lay it down and then come back and check on it maybe in about three years would probably be my mark, which is fairly typical of some really great Shiraz um, that uh, like this. Okay, so there's uh, no more actual singing. I will sing the praises <laughs> now for Sparky Marquis and Molly Ducker um, just all day long. Uh, there are plenty of things leading up uh, to the wine that I would call my favorite um, in this particular region. So we are headed south um, of Adelaide, um, and we're going to talk about 2012 Molly Ducker's Shiraz McLarenville Carnival Love. So um, there's actually several wines uh, from sparky that um he actually makes with shiraz so it's mm, kind of follow along with me here so kind of the entry level is what they call the boxer um and this shiraz is actually um, sourced from several different locations um probably the next step up um for molly Ducker is the blue-eyed boy which i think of fondly as kind of the budget version of the carnival love um, now, Carnival Love is the perfect name um, for this Shiraz because um, this particular Shiraz has a rousing bliss of red berries, chocolate, and um, chai spice. Um, this is just a very full-bodied, velvety bottle. Is a start to um, just this uh, great finish um, to light. Um, absolutely uh, worth the price of admission, uh, hands down. My sips rating for this wine is oh a five. Oh my goodness! Yes! <clears throat> yes! 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 Now, I actually did not have plans to pick up the next bottle um, in the line of Shiraz from Molly Ducker. Now, that's actually the Velvet Glove. Um, and each of these goes up with... Um, definitely the price tag, you know, kicks up. So let's, um, let's describe the boxer as maybe probably like a $20 bottle of, of, uh, Shiraz and the velvet glove can swing, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of like two to $300, depending on how good the vintage is. So <clears throat> a very broad range. And, you know, for those people that, uh, have not had a chance to, to um, find uh, molly Ducker or actually have some of that uh really great chance to have such a wide variety of really great shiraz so um uh i said that i would not sing anymore <laughs> so but uh um i'm gonna do it anyway so what i meant to say about this one is stand it up stand it up oh yeah you think the screw cap oh, i'm sorry I am not going to sing. That, that was really bad. That was beyond pathetic. But anyway, um, so this wine, uh, don't lay it down, but you need to stand it up. And the reason why is because it uh, actually has a screw cap. So, um, 
you know, I would uh, definitely encourage you to, to uh, pick up um, as much of this probably as you can afford. I'd say Carnival Love usually tends to swing somewhere around $100 a bottle. Um, but uh, absolutely uh, well worth, well worth the price of admission, like I mentioned earlier. So um, next up, uh, we're actually going to uh, head to a completely different com- uh, country and um, actually flip to talking about a really great uh, white vintage. So um, I promise that I won't sing anymore, but I am going to butcher uh, a plenty of uh, French towns through this as well. So um, the vintage that we want to talk about is uh, actually, a, it was a really great year for uh, Cote de Bone. Um, which is actually in the southern part of a Cote d'Or, um, which is all this is the land of great Burgundy. Okay. Um, it's a huge limestone ridge and, um, the really big names, um, of for Burgundy, you know, from, uh, this particular region. Um, so there are actually seven of the eight declared grand crews, um, are in a Cote de Bone. So, um, this was just a stellar vintage uh, for white burgundy uh, in general. And um, if I uh, could have one show just on this vintage alone, um, that would be really great. So um, the, uh, the one, uh, uh, the wines that uh, I would describe, you know, for this particular vintage um, is uh uh, you know, they're, they're generally just full of, of, uh, rich, you know, yellow color. Um, it's, uh, beautifully, um, luxurious, um, is a very common way of describing white burgundy. And despite that fact, it actually does not, uh, tucks in nicely with lovely minerals and just a little bit of saltiness. Um, an exceptionally, uh, long, um, you know, Favely is, is, uh, actually the one that we're talking about here. And, um, you know, they actually used uh, three different picking teams. So two of them started in the white wine vineyards on 28th of September and were finished in four days, which is just an amazing, um, how fast that they move through. And, you know, um, white burgundy grapes just are, you know, really kind of hold some of those same delicate characteristics that they're, you know, red, you know, Pinot Noir uh, cousins, you know, tend to hold as well. So the faster you tend to move through the harvest, you know, um, that's uh, that's really the way you want to move it uh, through. In general, the harvest came in healthy and the hard work uh, paid off um, in the vineyards, actually paying off div- uh, dividends. So um, definitely a, uh, a really great, uh, a really great wine. And I would suggest that if you have a chance to uh, pick up any of the 2012 uh, Favely, um, I would definitely encourage you to do that. My rating for this one is also a five. Oh, my goodness. Yes! 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 Now, um, at uh, over uh, $1,500 a bottle for this wine, um, that may be capable of establishing a new debt ceiling. So... Um, I like to think of this as the perfect excuse to be rich. <laughs> it's definitely the way uh, you need to think about uh, enjoying burgundy wines in general, and definitely for uh, the white burgundies um, that uh, you would have from this particular vintage as well. 
So there you have it. So those are some of our favorite things from 2014 for our sips. So I want to thank you for joining us for this discussion. Thanks to all of our listeners here at Sip, Suds, and Smokes. You can catch all of our episodes online on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Stitcher, PRX, YouTube, Uncle John's Basement, and Spreaker, our native media host. Our terrestrial radio stations are always questioning, gee, I wonder when they're going to send us a bottle of that Favely 2012. Well, if you have a hankering to send them a bottle ahead of us, that'd be great. I know that they would uh, love that, and they might be encouraged to put us on the show on their radio station if you do so. So um, if you'd like to hear this, listen, do that. Send them a note and copy us as well. You can reach us online anytime at info at sipssudsandsmokes.com. Our daily tasting notes flow out on Twitter our handle on Twitter is at SibsSudSmoke, and our Facebook page is always buzzing with lots of news as well. Listen, uh, we really appreciate you joining us, and if you enjoyed this episode, or frankly, if you didn't even, take the time to rate us online. That's a really big help to us. We um, get to see your feedback, and that helps us um, and other listeners find our show as well. So uh, that's it for today and our favorite things for 2014. This is good old boy Mike asking you to keep on sipping. Tan Hand production of Sip, Suds, and Smokes, a program devoted to the appreciation of some of the finer slices of life. From the dude in the basement studios, your host, the good old boys, will see you all next time. (laughs) 